0: Welcome to Frame
1: of Reference, informed, intelligent conversations about the issues and challenges facing everyone in today's world. In-depth interviews with Sauk County's leaders and professionals to help you expand and inform your Frame of Reference. Brought to you by the Max FM Digital Network. Now here's your host, Raoul Labresh. Well, welcome to another edition of Frame of Reference, Sauk Counties Only. I am sticking with that. We are the only show in Sauk County that uh, talks with area leaders in various positions uh, to try to get a handle on some of the issues that are talked about in the national and global arena, but perhaps seem a little depersonalized. Um, So try to get together with leaders in our area and we've uh, if you listen to the podcast you know that we've got things from all over the spectrum which I love because I love learning new things and today is one of those days where I get to be happy 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 because I'm learning new things from a new guest someone I've known actually for a number of years but we had a really brief interaction in the past um, and he reached out to me to say, I've heard about your podcast. Would would you be interested in talking with me? And, of course, I'm interested in talking with anyone. I, I talk with everyone that wants to talk. So I was pleased to have him do that. And I'm even more pleased to have him sitting across from the table re- from me right now talking about none other than Todd Werger, who is the executive director. Correct, Todd? Correct. Of the uh, Sock Prairie Medical Healthcare Foundation. Foundation. Healthcare yep. Foundation. You got okay. it. Yep. So S. S-P-M- H- yeah, we kind of lost the memorial
0: part a few years ago when the okay. new hospital was constructed. But you're 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 tracking right. It's okay. Prairie Healthcare Foundation. Okay. Sac Healthcare Foundation. Yes.
1: Well, and I know like with Sac Prairie Healthcare, it was like multiple campuses now because since Correct. the new uh, hospital went up, there we had uh, another campus with the old hospital now being like a wellness center. And uh, there's a, isn't the um, family clinic there or the free clinic is, yep. is the Good Neighbor Clinic is also part of that building now okay. too. Correct. Okay. Correct. It's always interesting. I I walk by with my dogs on a fairly regular basis, and uh, I actually have to get back to having my health club membership there because I miss those machines. That uh, that was it's a, a good addition to the community is to have the a facility like that where they're you know state of the art machines. It's well maintained. Uh, so if you ever move to Sauk Prairie, folks this is something you want to check out and it's reasonably priced too on top of it all. So, uh, who could ask for anything more, right? That's so true. thanks Todd again for being here. Thanks for mm-hmm. reaching out. I'm I'm mm-hmm. excited to talk about the things that I know you're an expert in. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not, you'll, you'll like teach everyone that don't question me. I, I'm, I'm not completely full of baloney, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: no, thanks for having me on the show. And yeah, I heard uh, many good things about your podcast and I just, uh,
1: I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you here. Well, and I appreciate, you know, the uh, healthcare arena has, I think, changed relatively drastically in that the amount of pressure, the amount of focus that's been on healthcare in recent times has to be very stressful. I mean, the people that I know that work directly in healthcare right now, I hear that regularly. That they're just—it's uh, a really difficult time as a human being to continue to provide healthcare in our country and our localities, are you seeing that as well? Or am I imagining things and blowing it out of proportion?
0: No, I know what you're seeing or what you're hearing is absolutely a fact. It's, it's a very stressful time in healthcare. Um, I guess you could make the argument anytime can be a stressful time, but obviously with the uh, hit of the pandemic and um, just how things just drastically changed and how, our healthcare workers and our frontline responders had to step up and, um, you know, put their li- their own lives at risk every day for the the people that they were caring for. So that just added a whole nother layer of stress on top of the stress of just the nature of the position. Sure. Um, I'm not in a frontline position role, but what I can say for the many many people that I work with, many of my colleagues that um, you know may not be on the front line, we're still all feeling the stress of. Uh, what's going on? And you know, we uh, the culture at Sac Healthcare is very much of a you know team based. Uh, we're all in this together, whether we're frontline or not. We're there to respond uh, to support the folks that are responding to the to the uh, the patients. And so it's uh, it's been a very stressful time, um, but I think it's taught us a lot. And I've learned a ton over the last year and a half, almost two years. Uh, learned about how to do things differently um how we can uh you know um we just have to step outside of our comfort zones and, and look at things a different way and um and um uh, good things believe it or not have come out of this even though it's been a very stressful time.
1: Yeah. I, I always think of a um uh, a Mark Twain quote from a short story he wrote and I I can never remember the name of the story. I, re- I have to go back and read that so I can quote intelligently. But um, the the story is really interesting overall. Uh, just a, a community that's very nice, and everyone's you know gets along so well. And then through a series of events, it just. Tests that community in ways that they never imagined, and everyone by the end of it is just at each other's throat, and you no one trusts anyone anymore, and it's just a, this horrible, you know, destruction of what they thought they had. And he makes one of the main characters makes the comment at the end that, "Well, don't you realize that the weakest of all weak things is a virtue not tested by fire?" And I have always thought. Boy, if he wasn't talking to us today with that story back in the 1800s, because, it I mean, we, I think, have endured that as a country and many professions have endured that testing by fire. And we've found that the virtues that we thought we had, we maybe didn't have as strongly as we needed. And now new ones have come out as a result of that. You know, I hear from people regularly that, They've had to learn patience, and they, they've realized how little patience they had before, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had to learn how to research things and, and really listen to people, have empathy for people. It, it's a, it's really a phenomenal time, I think, for us as a nation and as communities to kind of take stock of it all. And so, hmm, could have handled that better. How? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I think it's been a
0: true test to everybody's resiliency as far as how you you face challenges that you haven't encountered before and how are you going to work together to be part of the solution. And so I, I can say in many ways that I think our organization, all of our team members have, have been very resilient. Um, and I would also say that it's brought us closer together. We've had to take on these problems together, figure out solutions for them at the end of the day, we're here to care for patients. And I, I feel just very fortunate to be actually part of that team that, that does that every day.
1: Sure. Well, we can talk about that more down the road, but sure. right now we have to do our, my favorite things <laughs> part of the, the podcast, which is, as you can tell, one of my favorite parts of the <laughs> podcast. But uh, And I, I prepped you on this before, but the yep. questions that I put on there, not necessarily the only ones we're going to talk about. All so right. This I'm is ready. very Rorschachian, right? Okay. You can just kind of, if you see a butterfly, that's just fine. Mm. Don't worry about, I see a moth or whatever. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, and I, I know you're a professional, so I don't have to worry about any Jerry Springer language coming out or anything. No. So I'm probably no. gonna get in trouble for that one. But here we go. <laughs> I'll
0: that's, keep it family friendly.
1: <laughs> there we yeah, go. Yeah. There you go. Try to remember, right? Your dog could be listening. So that's right. Well, or my kids. Right. <laughs> so, okay. First one up favorite color. Blue. Blue. Why
0: uh-huh. blue? You know, uh, I think my mom bought a lot of our clothes. I have two brothers. And, and when I was growing up, uh, blue was just a, a, a color that was often purchased okay. for the three of us. So I think it's a combination of that. I, I have blue eyes. Um, I went through one of those. Uh, I, I think it's what's your color. Uh, sure. to, to It was a personality sure. test. Sure. and. And and I think I fell in the blue color, which really? means I, I. I think I could have this wrong. but It was many years ago, but uh, my personality is such that I. Um, I, I I think I am a good listener. I tend to be compassionate. I uh, have Blues one are of those
1: caretakers, aren't they? Or, if I remember.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that work in the healthcare <laughs> setting uh, tend to be blue. And so whether, whether it's because of that, or I'll, I'll shamefully admit I was actually a Chicago bear fans growing up. Now that's oh. a darker shade of blue. Oh, I know yeah, for those.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to edit that. Part. Uh, I should Go admit well, that or right not. There, now,
0: no, but actually now. I, I, well, that was back in the seventies when oh. the Packers went through their really, yeah, really yeah, they, the, they were kind the of a, a losing team. That, right. Yeah. So I, I liked the color blue. So I started cheering for the bears, but it wasn't very long that I came to my senses and then I, uh. I shifted quickly and became a Packer <laughs> fan again. So, uh,
1: the Bears fans out there are going to love that. You're a reformed Bear fan. I, that's the thing that came to mind. No, you know, the, you know, we love the Bears. If we didn't love the Bears, we wouldn't have anyone to be angry with when they beat us, right? So uh, I, I, there, there's kind of – we love to beat the Bears. That's what I know more yes. than anything. So yes. Okay, so how about a uh, favorite food?
0: Favorite food? Uh, well – I don't know if if I'll call it my favorite, but I have it every morning as oatmeal. Um, Depends what you put in it. But I uh, like to be creative, and some mornings I'll have it with apple and little cinnamon sugar Mm. sprinkles on it. Some uh, mornings I have it with blueberries. Some mornings Mm. I have it with uh, pecans or bananas, but Mm. it just... You know, I, I've stuck to that plan for a better part of three years now every morning. And there right. haven't been many mornings when I've deviated from
1: that. Well, it's interesting, so, isn't it? it? It strikes me that oatmeal is one of those things kind of like pasta, right? Where it's just, it's a good foundational element for a bunch of different moods and, uh, you know, uh, things that you're going through. Oh, I need some blueberries today. You can just throw those on there and the oatmeal doesn't mind, you know? Yeah, uh, it's yeah. not like green peppers. Green peppers are not. They're not a friendly thing. Green peppers come on to something, and they're like, Hi, I'm Green Pepper, right? You know, and you're like, oh, God, yeah, this has got green pepper in it, doesn't it? So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to hear you. Like, I actually know several people that are oatmeal
0: lovers. O- oatmeal can be a really boring food if you put nothing on it. Yeah. So the key is you got to put something on it that you like,
1: right? And, right. Then it, and then and it doesn't taste like, like oatmeal anymore. Right, if you just like boring old oatmeal, too, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. We don't want to make you feel bad for Eating your cereal and a bore- boring, eating your cereal, sorry.
0: But I have a big bowl of it, and it will hang with me for a while. So it yeah. usually will get me to the lunch hour with having to, without having a snack in I've between. heard that. It does stick
1: to your yes, ribs. It does. I, yes, it does. they used to say. Okay.
0: How about a favorite animal?
1: Dog. Do- dogged? Any dogs Any particular breed?
0: You know, right now I have a 12-year-old dog. She's a miniature schnauzer. Her name is Roxy um,
1: Schnauzer, but she, she must have some character to, you her.
0: know, and I know schnauzers may get a bad rap because they, they yip a lot and yeah. yep. They, they, they like to talk too. but I'll tell you, we've got just the nicest dog. And I, I'm sure everybody says that about their dog, but I just like dogs, you know, the old saying they're, they're your best friend. It's, it really is true. They're there. You know, they don't judge you. They're always there for you. They're just, you know, and with all the stresses that we all encounter throughout the day, they're just nice to come home to.
1: Yeah. So. yeah isn't it great? I, we have two dogs. We've, we've uh, for the past number of years now, we've gotten rescue animals too. So um, uh, different agencies in the area. And it's always amazing to me how, um, a, like you say, a dog doesn't judge you. A dog, uh, you know, some people complain, well, they're always jumping up on me, making such a holler. It's like, well, have you ever stopped to think that you're like the most exciting thing that happens to a dog during their day is seeing the person that they absolutely love. And, you know, and they're like, I guess I never thought of it that way. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I feel pretty good having somebody come running after me like I'm the most exciting thing that's happened to them in a long time mm-hmm. and in that unconditional positive regard, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't understand people that don't like dogs. I don't know about you. If you don't like a dog, I'm always like, hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to get to know you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there's, a, there's the
0: cat people yeah, out there yeah, and others. And I, I have no uh, – I just didn't grow up with them. I grew up with dogs, so that's the only thing I, I guess I know as a pet. But I also want to share, and this is something that uh, kind of fits in that area of health and, and um, you know, dogs, you have to care for them too and, and take them for their preventive checkups. And this was uh, about two and a half years ago. We took our dog in, in the summer, my wife did, and learned that uh, she had to have a, a tooth pulled, right? So it was an abscess tooth. They said, you know, you really need to have this removed. And so they set up the appointment. So my wife took the dog to her appointment to have her tooth pulled, and they called a little while later, and they said, so we got in your dog's mouth, and we found that she actually needs 20 more of her teeth pulled. Do we have your permission to do so? And we said, okay, go ahead. And so after that encounter, and she came home with a cone on her head and, and was on pain medication for two weeks... Well, first off, I ask the question: How many teeth does a dog have? You, did you just take take all of them out? No, they have over forty. So about half of her teeth were removed, and from that day forward, I have been brushing her teeth every night. And I got to tell you, it's no different than a human. If you don't take care of a dog's oral hygiene, it can it can reduce her it reduce her lives. And so now, every time we've had her in for the checkup over the last couple of years, they. Um, they talk about how clean and healthy her teeth are, and I just want to keep her
1: that way. It's uh, yeah, and it is. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It takes time. I mean, we've had, both of our our dogs have had actually the dogs before this uh, had both had different forms of cancer, and uh, that that's really. I mean, I, I felt I think similar to some people feel with any loved one when you see that they're just kind of going downhill and there's nothing really in both of their cases, there wasn't any surgical realm. We did some different things with diet and some, um, some, uh, I think in one case there was some medication we could take to kind of alleviate and, and slow down the tumor, but, um, never did the chemotherapy. They were both in their you know mid teens by that point when we found out, but, um, yeah, it's, it, it becomes a, a job, you know, it's, it can be work to take care of a pet, um, and I always think about, I'm, I'm a selfish person. I want everything, you know, me, 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 me. But dogs have really taught me about, you know, the, it, it is important to care because all of that love that they give you, you know, it that ought to mean something. And if it means something, you're motivated to help, right. And right. do what you have to do. Well, and, and just to
0: finish that thought, one thing that I've learned, um, I think there was a stat about it, how it takes on average 21 days to develop a new habit And so don't get me wrong. I wasn't really enjoying this process with going into my dog's mouth with a toothbrush every night. (laughs) No, you didn't love
1: that. Oh
0: boy. It was, it was really one of the last things I wanted to do, but fortunately she handled it. Well, we found a a flavor. It's vanilla mint that she likes. And so, but after 21 days, It became a habit, and then I really didn't even have to think twice about it in the evening. So just goes to show you can develop a new habit with brushing your dog's
1: teeth. So you can teach both (laughs) kinds of old dogs new tricks, right? (laughs) So new habits. How about a favorite book?
0: You know, I can't put my finger on a a favorite book, but I can say that the books that I enjoy reading when I do read books are often – books about former coaches or current coaches. I, I'm a, I'm a kind of a sports fan and a a person that grew up around sports. And I always enjoy a good read when uh, a coach who's taken their coaching to a high level has written a book about how they got there. Okay. So I think about the um, and I've read some books uh, Mm -hmm. about some of the former Badger coaches, Bo Ryan and Barry Alvarez. And I just found them just very, very interesting, how they got started with their coaching careers and some of the, you know, the challenges and opportunities that they encounter along the way, how they, you know, I think the thing that came through in all these books that I read were just, and it's probably no different than any other profession you take on and you succeed is, you got to be passionate about what you're doing. And so that was the thing that I try to pick up. Um, you know, I try to pick up on things in these books that I can apply in my professional career, whether it's my Role with the foundation and 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 things that I could be trying and 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 doing to lead an organization. Or I also coach high school swimming, and there's always little nuggets that I can you know take from other people's successes to apply to my um, coaching my team. But sure. Uh, sure. I just always find these 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 stories about coaches and what's gotten them to that level and what, what can I take from those kind of books? Sure. Well,
1: and the really good coaches have some real similarities to them too, don't they? In terms of the, the passion is one thing, but then also just the, the commitment to excellence Um, that, you know, the commitment to inspiring. I mean, I, I find that's one of the, the things that I, I sometimes feel like, where did the inspiration go is that the, The leaders, particularly in the political arena lately, are have lost that ability to inspire people, and instead are just energizing them for things. You know, uh, get people going on their their touch points or hot points. It's like that's different than inspiration. You know, to me, inspiration is you know getting you to realize and want to work towards a common goal, right? Whereas. uh, energizing the kinds of things we seem to do these days is more about just getting people moving and kind of hoping they all go towards the same thing that you direct them to, but then it gets all diffused and, you know, a lot of misinformation, a lot of, you know, misguidedness. It's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting time we live in, isn't it? Right. How, how about this is the one I like to wrap up this part of the, the podcast with, but um, do you have a favorite memory? From childhood, something that when you think about, or you know, that if you come across something that reminds you of that, it just brings you back to that that place of boy, that was fun. I wish I wish I would have done, you know, realized then how significant that was going to be later on.
0: Yeah, no, I um, I guess as we approach the holiday time of the year, and uh, I've been reminded lately that I need to come up with a skit for the worker family talent show. <laughs> um, and what what this is is I think we're going on a little over ten years. Our kids hadn't been born yet. I have a young family, but my younger brother who had started his family before we did, his kids were young at the time and it was it was um something that we did. my family was when we were young when our cousins would come to visit for Christmas, we would just put together a bunch of acts and and we would sell tickets at the door and so my parents and my cousins' parents and grandma would sit around in the family room and we would do anything from reenacting a commercial that we saw on TV for <laughs> you know um coffee to somebody playing the piano to it didn't matter you sure. just came up with a skit and you just did it and that was our our talent show. So many years went by and we were just looking for something fun to bring the family together to do a little bonding. And we thought back on our childhood experience and thought, well, you know what the heck, let's just do a worker family talent show. And little did we know at the time that year after year after year, even last year, when our family did not get together in person, we all put together skits Recorded them, and then my younger brother, who's into technology, just stitched them together, and we did a virtual worker family talent show. So, even last year, the show must go on. And my 87 year old dad, who is the MC, he got up there with his top hat and introduced the show, and away we went, and we all had a skit. Uh, So, anyway, as I think back in my childhood, I was very fortunate that um, I grew up in a positive, healthy environment um, where just you know, family was important. That was right. that was the core of everything that we did, and the holidays meant that we just took a break from all the the busyness of life, and we were together. And um, that's something that I'll just I'll
1: never forget. Sure, I wonder if that isn't part of our our mental health issues today, even as the the um, erosion. Of families you know the uh, and there's so many factors that play into that right the the financial needs that have been you know and the financial pressures that are put on families that you know make both uh, members of the family both husband and wife and that's oftentimes the kids have to work just to get by right um or the the pressures just of um You know, wanting to have a career, and you know, once you get started towards that career of wanting to just keep working, 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 and you end up at a point where you don't have time to have a meal together, or the kids get so you know involved in things that you you know barely see them anymore, right? They're doing something every day, so there, there's a, you know, I think about that sometimes. Of how do we get that back? How do we get back to having the worker family? You know, talent shows that are it doesn't take that much time. Right. But it, it is a bonding thing. Um, there's a, a, a play our town by Thornton Wilder. And I've always thought that it's so beautiful that the moment where George and Emily are first finding out how much they love each other in the background, the church choir is practicing. And the song that they sing is blessed be the ties that bind. And I thought, boy, what a, what a genius way of putting things together. Right. So, I'm encouraging everyone that's out there listening to this right now, think about the ties that bind and see if you can't figure out a way to strengthen them, right? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah so, absolutely right. So, so, folks, my guest today is Todd Worker, who is the executive director of the Sauk Prairie Hospital Foundation. Did I get it right that time? Healthcare foundation. Healthcare but, foundation. You know, and and and,
0: and and I'll just I'll just emphasize why it's healthcare and not hospital. And that is because, as you mentioned earlier, Raul, when um so the, the hospital owns four primary care clinics, and those are located in Mesomania, um, Spring Green, Plain, and Lodi. And so basically, we are a, a, a healthcare system in the sense that we take care of the patients when they come to the hospital or the urgent care because they have urgent or emergent needs or pre-planned surgeries, but they also come to our primary care clinics. And when they come to our primary clinics and we have a, a staff that's dedicated to taking care of their needs... Um, and referring them into the hospital when those when those additional needs are needed. So it's we really view ourselves as a fully integrated healthcare system. So
1: I won't make that mistake. No, again, no, no, no. That's I okay. know now what's going on <laughs> with healthcare. So no, thank, thanks, Doc. Because no, it is no easy to think about it as the hospital foundation. I think because in the old days, at least, I remember the big drive for the hospital, and that became right. kind of a a primary, or maybe right. a, at least for that time, a primary focus right. for the foundation was to make that possible, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. The, 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 original hospital was built in 1956 uh, and it was called Sauk Prairie Memorial Hospital. Um, many years went by. Uh, they, they continued to build onto the hospital that was in, in uh, Prairie du Sac, um, what, which is what our Wellspring campus is now. But when that, that that land uh, where we w- weren't able to expand any longer and the needs continue to rise. That's when they secured the land over by the airport and built and um, did a fun major fundraising campaign to raise money for that new hospital. The foundation of course led that effort and we raised $5.2 million over an 18 month period of time. But, r- but really what's important about that, not so much, you know, the amount in the period of time, but just the fact that the community stepped up to support the need of the hospital. I think um, everybody knows what a, what a wonderful asset this is to the community, the fact that we have a hospital here. Not every small community has a hospital. Um, so I, I, I strongly believe that there was, the reason why they raised so much money in such a short period of time is they, they very much wanted this hospital to remain
1: here. True. Well, folks, so my guest today is Todd Werger, who is the Executive Director of the Sauk Prairie Healthcare Foundation. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here on 99.7 Max FM. Don't go anywhere. You're not going to miss want to miss the, uh, the rest of our conversations. we really kind of dive into some of the mental health issues that are going on today, as well as a, a particular course that's now being offered through our, our healthcare organizations here in town on uh, mental health first aid. So you're going to want to listen because there might be uh, little tools and tidbits of information that will help you to deal with mental, your own mental health, but uh, the people that you care the most about that are a part of your life. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Frame of Reference. Need it? Need it now? Have no fear, the problem solvers are here. Rent it at McFarland's in Sauk City. We've got everything to help make your party a success. Tables, tents, tablecloths, treat machines, you name it. Something on that honey-do list getting put off? We can help with everything from edgers to excavators, blowers, trimmers, generators, lifts. It's all here under one 200,000-square-foot roof at McFarland's in Sauk City. Your complete rental center, one block south of Highway 12 at 780 Carolina Street, where service is a family tradition. Well, we're back here at Frame of Reference uh, talking with Todd Werger, who, uh, before we took a break, was telling you about the Werger Family Talent Show, which uh, I'm going to ask for probably the tapes of that virtual one because I want to see the range of talent that there is in the Werger family, which uh, just sounds like a fun tradition to have in in any family. So, But uh, Todd is the executive director of the Sauk Prairie Healthcare Foundation. Um, and, you know, and the question that came up my in my mind right away, Todd, was um, how does one become an executive director of a healthcare foundation? It's like, I, I can't see, no offense, but I can't see a person being in high school going, when I grow up, I want to be an executive director. It's just, it's not something you even really, I think, know about when you're younger, right, uh, that these things even exist. And then, you know, when you find out that there are these foundations, it's like, what, everyone's working on basements? I don't get it. What's the deal? So tell me a little bit. How did how did you get into this career? My wife. <laughs> Short answer: My wife. Your wife. Um, okay, it's all your fault. And
0: and, and, so. and so yeah. Um, truth be told, it was my wife, and that's why we should always listen to our spouses, right? <laughs> no, uh, well, one was, of the reasons. One of so. my reasons. Um, in all seriousness, I I knew about this job um, months before I actually. Applied for it, I I just didn't think I had the right skill set and the experience for this. So I I came from a business background. I I went to school for business. I um I do have a master's degree in business, and I had spent many many years working the insurance business and doing uh, roles primarily in sales and business development. So I I just figured that my future was more finding a a, a business setting and and continue to to uh, pursue that. Uh, the, so you know. when
1: you we were off air, you were talking about working for Unity. So yeah. when you talk insurance, you're talking health insurance primarily. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I, uh,
0: I had a couple short careers after I graduated from college, but for for a good period of time during my professional career, I worked at Unity here in Sox City, and ten years, and then I. Uh, kind of moved on from there to become an independent insurance agent. And Raul, that's where I met you is when I right. was uh, on the Chamber of Directors bo- or Chamber Board of Directors. And at the time I was working for an insurance agency based out of Beaver Dam, but they set up an office in Sauk City. And I did that for five years. And then the Affordable Care Act came in and uh, compensation with agents was changed. And long story short, I got out of it. But I, I, um, I left for a period of time and went into the retail business uh, found out quickly that, that, that wasn't very, um, Boy, that's
1: a big shift from very there. big Should've shift,
0: very big shift. So. That's, that's a whole nother story. They're I mean, both selling
1: things, but that's about it. I and know. I was selling
0: swimsuits too, which you would oh. think would be a passion for me. Cause I, I coach high school swimming and I was a competitive swimmer, but no, I was only there for seven months and I, okay. I moved on and took a career for uh, working for a medical society. But it was during that time that some things changed in the work environment. The person that had hired me and I was reporting to left the organization and I reported to somebody else that I, I knew our, our futures together probably weren't going to last much longer. But what happened was my <laughs> wife noticed that this job had been posted and I knew the previous executive director who had been in the role for 18 years and I thought, wow, that she's finally retiring. But again, no no desire to apply for the job and she just kept prodding at me, and just to get her off my back, I said, fine, I'll apply for the job, and I really wasn't expecting to uh, to get a call, but the day after I put in my application, somebody from the human resource team called and said, we'd like to uh, have you come in an interview, so I said, sure, what the heck, and so I, I sat down with a subset of the board of directors, and um, anyway, let's just say that the interview went more better than I had anticipated and expected it to be. And the part about it that really um, was very intriguing that got my um, just my competitive juices flowing and just the, the thing that interests me was how it took on this community health role. So not only are you raising money, that's what foundation directors do, but you're finding ways to give it back uh, to the hospital and to the community in the form of wellness grants. And when they said that this is a really key part of this position – I'll never forget I was driving home and the first call I made after that interview was with my wife and I just I was so excited I said you'll never believe what part of this role is and 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 wellness and and health is just uh, it's I guess probably from a very early age has been part of my core I was raised by a a community health nurse and uh just you know one of the famous sayings that we had in our house is your 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 health is your first wealth and you always take Take care of your health. And mm. um, so I just, um, when I learned that there was this community health component to the job, well, then of course I, I, I wanted to have a call back. I was hoping I'd get a call back. And sure enough, the next day they invited me back for a second interview and, and, and the rest is history. I was hired for the position. But what does an executive director do? Well, we, we raise money and we raise money for a good cause. And that is to, at the end of the day, keep the patients that come to Salkbury Healthcare. Healthy, Right. And in many cases, and this sounds kind of counter, maybe counterproductive or counterintuitive, I guess, I, I don't know which, which is the appropriate word, but, you know, a hospital is here to take care of patients. And of course they survive on taking care of patients, but in the role of a foundation, you're trying to put messaging out to the community and grants out to the community to take care of yourself, you know, take care of the, or do these preventive measures so that you don't end up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really unique and cool role to be leading, be in a leadership position within the community where you're putting money out in the community in the form of grants where you want organizations and you want people to take care of themselves and to stay healthy so they don't have to use Sauk Prairie Healthcare. And so that's what Mm -hmm. I really enjoy is being able to promote health and wellness in the form of, grants and we do that by raising money it is let's face it you know you're you're selling something right sure. and there's always a stigma with you know you're you're a fundraiser you're you're selling something but What can go wrong with improving people's health? And so to me, that resonates with my personality and my value structure and who I am as a person. And I I, I want to keep people healthy.
1: Isn't that, I mean, that that base root of raising money, you know, there is a tendency for us to think of, you know, well, if I'm raising money, then that sort of sullies what I'm trying to do. And yet, I mean... I think of, you know, my theater experience. I always think of a, a theatrical correlative, but they're in the uh, the musical carousel. Um, there, or cabaret, I'm sorry, in cabaret. There's a a lead player there who, uh, at one point, you know, cabaret is set during Nazi Germany time. And in this cabaret that, you know, is, is pretty seedy in a lot of ways, but the lead player at at one point comes up and sings money makes the Vodka around, the Vodka around, the Vodka around. Right. And, uh. There's an unfortunate reality there, right, that if you want to be able to do anything, whether it's to the benefit of people or, you know, to the detriment of people, um, it does take money and organizations like your own, uh, you you can hold up the ideal of this is, this is a really good thing that we're raising this money in order to help keep people healthy. And I think you're right. There's kind of a counterintuitive thing that, well, but if you, if everyone gets healthy, then they're not going to need to go to the hospital. So, you know, isn't that kind of hitting our bottom line? But in my brain that speaks to the integrity and the, um, the honesty, the I don't know the word I'm looking for, but that sense of you mean it—that because you wouldn't be able to work in that sort of environment where the success of what you do impacts the financial success of another organization you're working for. For right, there's this sense of. Well, they're not going to come and tell you, well, you're doing a too good a job keeping people healthy. We need you to let you get them sick so more of them come in the door for our hospital, right? You're never going to... I would think you would never going to hear that from the hospital administrator or any of the doctors or anything, right? No,
0: no and, and even if we did... Um... We did such a wonderful job promoting health and wellness that people didn't get sick anymore. There's always going to be reasons for people to go to a hospital, right? There's
1: accidents. There's
0: accidents.
1: There's just illnesses that you can't really, I mean, how many people have you known that are super healthy and they got COVID? You know, there are nationally, you know, focused upon cases of folks that were absolutely rock solid healthy and they got COVID and died. Yep. It's a, and that's just the recent example, but there's plenty of those where, you know, someone, we don't know why, but they got very sick and needed a hospital. That's right. So are that's right. you finding uh, in, in your line of work and others that those experiences that you had leading up to this, that you continue to look back on that as feeding your capability to lead now? I mean, it, was it seeing other people that were leaders that were like, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that if I was leading or was it other seeing people to, you talked about biographies in the first segment there, there were some leadership principles there, right. That really, uh, led you to be a better leader. Yeah. You know, I, um,
0: I think, uh, when I, uh, look at my position with the foundation and, and, and being a leader is, uh, it's about, it's about doing the right thing. I, um, I worked many years ago when I was working at unity for a CEO that he had a saying and it it related to selling health insurance. And, and the saying was, you know, you do the right thing and the money will follow. Right. So you, you, you go out and you represent the, the product, you represent the company, you do it with integrity, you do it the right way. You don't cut corners. You, you be honest with people and, you know, you may not get every customer, but at the end of the day, we'll have enough business coming on that coming in that we'll do fine. Well, you can apply that same principle in anything you do in life. You do the right thing, the right thing will happen. You know, the pieces will fall in place. You know, you don't take don't take shortcuts. You 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 do the right thing and the right thing will follow. Um, and so that's one of my principles and I feel like I've, I've done that, uh, ever since I started with the foundation and, and as a leader, that's a really important thing is that you have to, you have to practice what you preach and you you have to do things the right way.
1: Do you feel that there's a, I mean, it seems like part of our, our culture, our culture, the fabric of our nation, in fact, um, is, I I guess I want to say torn by the right thing being defined in traditionally not appropriate or not correct ways. Uh, I think of the alternative facts, you know, spectrum that's going on now where anyone that has an opinion uh, can state it as if it's factual. And that strikes me as a really dangerous and precarious place to be because if that's the case, then what is right can be based on a false fact. So it's, it's the given this knowledge, which is come to find as a lie is what I operate on in order to do the right thing. I may in fact be doing the wrong thing. So do you, what do you feel is your compass for determining that, no, this really is the right thing. And I, I, I see the fruits of having thought this way well enough to know that this is in fact the right way. what, how do you nail that down for yourself
0: oh, well that's a really good question Well, i what i can say is in my role uh with the foundation and i am part of the leadership team and i i participate in a lot of uh leadership meetings with the other directors and, and the vps and our ceo is you know we um we rely a lot on on say science and data to drive the decision making uh that we have and um and i respect um uh, authority and, and the, and the people that I'm around every day. Uh, so maybe part of being in a healthcare setting is you, uh, you know, you, you, you rely on that data and that science because they're, they're people that have studied, uh, this information for a long period of time. They, they've been trained and, and, um, for me, that's just, that's just what I follow. I, I need to follow the facts and I need to follow the science. Uh, and I think anybody that works in a healthcare organization, that's, that's what you hang your hat on at
1: the end of the day. Sure. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to me, I, I actually read a, a brief article by, a, I believe it was a physician. Yeah. He was a physician at uh, Mont Olivet and he talked about in this whole COVID pandemic, one of the things that he was observing was that there wasn't enough humility at the table, of these discussions that there were, were too many people rushing to sound factual when the evidence wasn't quite there. So when we would predict what's going to happen, there was a confidence that really wasn't well-founded because the reality of the disease has been, it's been up, it's been down, it's been up, it's been down. And the only thing that seems relatively predictable is it seems to be on about a two month cycle. Do you feel like that, that has, uh, that, that desire to have an answer gets in the way of sometimes doing the right thing and just saying, you know, we just don't know. And taking the licks that you get for, well, why don't you know you're supposed to be an expert? Why don't you know? You know, there's a, there's a fear there that I think can overtake even the best intentioned people. Um, and they do give an answer that's You know, well, you're. I am an expert, and I'm not going to be made to feel like I'm not an expert. You know what I'm getting at? There's that. That uh, I I think we get pressured into having answers, and sometimes the best answer is we just don't know right now, and that's not an acceptable answer, right? Because I'm Burger King, and I want the hamburger my way. Give me an answer. Yeah. Is that?
0: Yeah, so I I I will admit there 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 have been times when I've heard that said that we we don't know. Um and I think that's acceptable because we're we're facing something that we haven't faced before and we don't have all the answers, but we what we do have is we have the benefit a little bit of um other parts of the country or other parts of the world that perhaps are a little bit ahead of where we are currently and so um, the ability to be watch the experiences that other, other or or other communities or other parts of the world are going through, and then trying to base our decisions based on things that they've experienced or that they've tried that perhaps either succeeded or not succeeded, and then building a, a strategy around that. Sure. That's really the. The most historical or be, you know best information that we have at the moment, sure. but we really try to go with the best information we have at the moment sure. before we make our decisions.
1: Do you think that there's a, you know, when I look at the leadership examples around us, um, I, sometimes I feel like they're getting different information than I'm getting, and and that's becomes really difficult because I I, I don't get how, how your information base can be so different from my information base. And we both think we're getting good information. So is there in your leadership role, are you able to, you know, find ways to kind of sift through all of that information and say, okay, well, yeah, there's some truth here and there's some truth here and this is bogus. And so is this, you know, there, you know, that sifting and winnowing process, do you have, uh, experience with that, and that you utilize. That you know,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm I guess I could say, fortunately, in the, uh, I, I'm not in a clinical role where I'm responsible for doing that. Okay. But what I can say is, the people that are part of that process and part of those discussions. Uh, I have a high level of trust in that they've done the deep dive research and they've consulted with other organizations uh, such as the CDC. And these these are, these are physicians. These are people that are, um, you know, they, they've, they've gone through medical school and additional training and they, they have the the foundation there to be able to, um, to know what the, the data is saying is true. And so I, I just put a high level of trust and respect in that the, the decisions that they're making are are going by the best information they have and that's what's moving our organization forward.
1: So in your role as you're making decisions about let's you know say fundraising efforts right. and, and technologies, methodologies that are working for other foundations, um do you have a, a litmus test of sorts that you look at those things and say, well, yeah, that, that worked really well for them, but I don't know that it would work here because that community is very different. And I mean, it seems seems to me that a lot of the things that we deal with in general have a lot of factors to them, a lot of facets to them, that if you just say, well, they did that here and it worked just fine. It's like, yeah, but you know.
0: Yeah. You know, so, and that's a really good question. So as it relates to my role uh, with the foundation and, and going out and, and fundraising. I belong to a couple of professional organizations, one of which is a, an, an international organization called the Association for Healthcare Philanthropy, or AHP. The other one is a more local or regional professional organization called RWHC, the Rural Wisconsin Healthcare Network, or co-op, I should say. And they're actually based here in Sauk City as okay. their home. And, and that's a group of foundation directors around the state, um, that work for the foundation, uh, of small rural hospitals like ours. And so when the pandemic hit, and I'll just, uh, kind of stick to the, you know, the more recent where we've had to make some decisions about, well, how do you fundraise in a pandemic? You know, the inability to do, uh, an in-person event like a golf outing. And so for two straight years now, we, um, have not had a golf outing, nor have we had another in-person event that we hold at the vintage and and not that that's all of our revenue, but it makes up a good part of it. And what's really important to us is that we be able to, uh, a couple times a year, bring our donors together with friends and, and, and ed- use it as an opportunity to have a social event, but also to educate uh, and to raise awareness about what we're doing for the hospital. And so the inability to do that, um, we had to do some pivoting. And so, what do you do? Well, you consult with your professional organizations. How did you, how have you managed this one? What what new things have you tried out? And that and not everything that other organizations do necessarily will work in your area. Um, but one of the things that we did very early on in the pandemic is we had a donor one day that called and and he had caught wind that um, you know we had suspended elective surgeries. And we were required to do so and you know, what did that mean to the hospital? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that you, you financially are struggling, you know, is there something that we can do to help? And one of the things that was very much needed at the time as a way to keep our environment safe, uh, was to purchase what are, um, uh, they're, they're basically robots that you would put in a, in a, in a clinical area. Um, and they disinfect or kill all the pathogens in, in that area in a very short period of time. And so we, um, went out and, and purchased two, the hospital did. They're they're very expensive piece of equipment. Um, but they did it as a result of a gift, a very generous gift from this couple. And so I asked if I had permission to share that they had made this gift. And their initial response was, no, you know, we, we like to remain anonymous in these gifts. We feel very fortunate that we have the ability to do this. But no, we, we really don't. But then he came back and said, but... If by sharing our names you think it will inspire others to give, then yeah, feel free to share that. So we were literally weeks away from putting out a spring newsletter of which we were going to use a, um, a different frontline story, but because they they made this gift and and allowed us to use their name to inspire others, we used it as a campaign, and so we um, we shared their names and we said, would you please join this couple in? Um, and helping us raise money for COVID relief. And I will say that in that two-month period of time, once the newsletter went out, we raised over $200,000, and that is something that we, we don't normally see when you're putting out a newsletter to, um, uh, to your donors, and we, we extended it to patients as well. But it was just this amazing outpouring from the community that they, they heard the message they wanted to join this couple. It was a very well-respected couple in the community. And so they stepped up. And and if it weren't for that, the those those resources that we took in, uh, we wouldn't have been able to help the hospital achieve many of the things they needed um, to address some of the COVID needs out there. So I guess what I'm saying with this back to your question, Raul, is is we we um you know, we we consult with other organizations, not everything that they try necessarily works, and you can't necessarily replicate something that another organization does but at the time it felt right to do it that way and that's what we did and in hindsight it was a it was a good decision um, well, but so. now we're just going to continue as we go into 2022 and moving forward just to you know the, um, think outside the box and sure. just think about other things that ways that we can do
1: things it's interesting because as you're talking about that I'm thinking about how um, there's an intuitive component to that that you're alluding to with that you just kind of felt this was the right way to go out. You kind of, you know, and I, I, I I believe personally that that intuition is informed by all of our experience kind of coming together and, you know, helping to foment who we are and our experiences, all that good stuff. But then I also appreciated how you were respectful to the donor too, that there, there's another component to that leadership process is knowing enough to, well, this is what's going to work for us best but instead just saying hey would you be willing to and initially they said no but then as the they had a chance to foment on it or you know uh, percolate on the idea it's like well but if it will help and i think that that's kind of a that process is even somewhat driven by the leadership as well because if you provide a, a space where you know your the people that you're leading have the room to make their own decisions that can be really positive and really healthy as well. Right. Yeah.
0: So. Right. Well, I, I'm just very grateful that they, um, they were willing to share that they had made this gift because basically I, I think there's a lot of people out there that if, 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 if there's an assets being made and, um, not always will they make decisions about how they want to, uh, you know, donate based on what others are doing, but, it, w- it was an opportunity that presented itself, and I, I'm just very grateful that they stepped up and not only supported what we needed, but then said that we could, you know, share their names. And I think that truly did inspire other people to, to step up as well. And that, sure. that's not being, there's no shame in that. That's just, again, it's, it's, it's just providing an opportunity that they, that a uh, the little nudge that they may have needed to, to, to make those similar gifts.
1: Sure. Folks, my guest today is Todd Rerger, who's the executive director of the South Prairie Healthcare Foundation. We're going to take a brief break to hear a word from our sponsors, uh, wrap up this episode, and then Todd and I are going to continue our conversation. And, uh, I think we've just kind of scratched the surface on a couple of things. We're going to see if we can't take a little bit of a deep dive into those for our next episode. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Frame of Reference on 99.7 Max FM's digital network. A-T-R. There's never been a better time to support small businesses and save big with Max FM Big Deals. Discount certificates from the Max FM Big Deals store will save you up to 50% off retail every day of the week. Local restaurants and wineries, healthy living and spa services, gifts for the holidays, and a whole lot more. New deals are added weekly. Check it out now at MaxFMBigDeals.com. That's MaxFMBigDeals.com. Start shopping and start saving. Johnson & Johnson has a page on their website entitled, Who Cares for the Caregivers? In it, they state, You must take care of yourself in order to help anyone at all. And yet, somehow this message gets lost for the millions of Americans called to take care of a loved one for days, weeks, months, or even years. Who takes care of them? Whether you're a family member or a professional health care provider, the question is still valid. Todd Werder and the staff at the Sauk Prairie Healthcare Foundation are acutely aware of the need to take care of our healthcare providers and work regularly to help them get the resources they need. But what about the rest of us? What are you and I capable of doing that would help those upon whom we rely on to help us when we need regular or urgent medical assistance? The current pandemic has put our health care providers under unprecedented stress. In some communities, the nurses and doctors and other medical staff are breaking under the increased workload. So what can we do to help care for the caretakers? I suggest we could start by following their directions. We could and should change our frame of reference by disregarding all the social media posts and biased news reports and experts quote unquote that lead us to doubt those closest to us and instead listen and heed the advice of those that are directly providing our care care for those that care for you by trusting that they really do have our best interests at heart if we can't or won't do that then how do we expect anyone to care Maybe you could even consider a gift to the Foundation. Stay well.